Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this episode of ASHP's podcast on medication safety, the podcast where we discuss current trends in medication safety, regulatory issues, and best practices that improve patient care. And in this episode, we'll be talking about best practices to improve occupational safety for healthcare workers. My name is Michael Ganio, and today we'll be chatting with Dr. Kimberly Mehta, the Director of Medication Safety and Regulatory at Allegheny Health Network. We'll be chatting about medical surveillance related to USP Chapter 800. Kimberly, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. So my first question, what exactly is medical surveillance? What is USP Chapter 800 referring to when it mentions medical surveillance? Sure. So a medical surveillance program in general is a program that monitors the health of different employees who work in settings where they can be exposed to different types of occupational health hazards. So when we're talking about medical surveillance as it relates to USP 800, this includes monitoring of healthcare workers who handle hazardous drugs as a regular part of their job assignment. Under the current version of USP 800, medical surveillance is a recommendation. This can really lead people to ask, you know, why should I implement a medical surveillance program? What I think we really have to understand is that the general purpose of surveillance is to minimize adverse health effects to any of our personnel that are potentially exposed to hazardous drugs during their work. Um, It can also be viewed as a a secondary prevention tool, so to provide means of any type of early detection from uh, a health problem that an employee may develop. We can track personnel through medical surveillance, and it allows the comparison of health variables over time in, in individual workers, which can facilitate early detection of a change in any type of lab value or type of health condition. Uh, Medical surveillance programs can also look for trends in populations of workers, which we'll get into a little bit later. We'll talk about how looking at the population can really help to identify areas that you can improve in your work environment. So, Kim, tell me, what components should be considered as part of a medical surveillance program? There's usually a couple of different components that people will look to implement during a medical surveillance program. The first being the the initial, what people refer to really as their baseline employee assessment. Um, there's usually an annual component to that, or it can even be maybe like a biannual component, but some sort of routine frequency. And there's a pathway for an acute exposure, so if there's some type of spill or if the employee is exposed in another way. And then finally, there can be an exit component to the medical surveillance program. Great, thanks. So let's, let's talk about a little bit more detail for each of those. Um, So what should be considered for that initial baseline assessment and which groups of uh, healthcare staff should be included in those initial assessments for medical surveillance? Sure. So looking just at the initial or the baseline assessment for employees, some things for consideration would be the completion of labs such as a CBC or urinalysis, collection of the employee's medical history, as well as a history of exposure to hazardous drugs. So this may not be their first position where they've had interaction and worked with hazardous medications. So it's important to make sure, though, that you're evaluating and including tests that make sense for your organization. So, for example, if you decide to test for a chemotherapy metabolite in urine at your initial, because you want to compare that during potentially annual or acute exposures or even at your exit, you know, your exit baseline, you want to make sure that it's something that you use frequently within your organization. So making sure that 
it's something that your employees would actually have exposure to to really see and really test kind of that those different periods to see if there is that exposure. Performing medical surveillance on all individuals may not make sense for an organization. It can be a costly as well as very complex process. And so targeting different high risk or what we would consider a high exposure group can really help to manage and create a process that both both works for your workflow for whoever's performing the medical surveillance, but also it makes it financially viable for your organization. So looking to review different work groups and determine which ones come into contact frequently with hazardous drugs or different chemotherapy agents. You know, populations to consider would be in the pharmacy, oncology nursing staff, so people that are administering oncology agents frequently, or even thinking a little bit more outside the box, you can consider people that come into contact with hazardous drugs to like home infusion, like if your home infusion would do a lot of hazardous drugs or chemotherapy agents, that that might be another group that you'd want to consider adding to that that high risk or high exposure group. Great. It sounds like, uh, you know, if you have a plan in place already where you're doing some of these measurements, you're off to a good start. But how about if you don't have this program in place, so you don't have that baseline assessment on your existing staff? What would you recommend as the, uh, a strategy to roll out a program like this when you don't have those initial values? Yeah, this is that's a great question because uh, this topic can be frequently overlooked by organizations who are in the process of implementing a medical surveillance program is thinking about how that impacts their current employees. So it, it is really important to have that script and share that information with your current staff about your organization's medical surveillance program. So it's helpful to really address any questions up front and explain the different components. So while they may not be applicable to the initial, the baseline assessment that new employees will be going under, we're not able to get that time point for them anymore. But they can still be included in the annual as well as the exit time points to make sure that there's not some type of exposure that's causing progression or development of any type of condition that can be related to that hazardous drug exposure. So really, again, just kind of explaining the different components of the program to address really any hesitation or concern or apprehension that your employees might have with that. So start by explaining and messaging that new employees will receive the baseline labs, but that all employees that are identified in this high risk group are going to receive all of the components moving forward from that point. Great. And so you've mentioned a couple times now this annual assessment. What sort of recommendations do you have for what should be included in the annual or the every six-month review? The annual assessment uh, should be a review and a documentation of the employee's exposure to any type of hazardous drug. So the annual questionnaire can be completed uh, either by paper. Most organizations are you know, switching to more of an electronic form or an electronic survey. And the survey can be distributed to any of the individuals that are identified that either had the baseline medical surveillance or are in that high-risk group that you're utilizing that you've decided at your baseline. Looking at types of questions, you can include uh, changes in general health or medical history, uh, looking at questions about specific symptoms, and this can be things like unexplained bruising. Have you had hair loss? Have you had a development of headaches or nosebleeds? Have you had unintentional weight loss or, or different symptoms that might be correlated to uh, hazardous drug exposure? It can include questions about reproductive and fertility, and this is for both men and women. The questionnaire should capture how frequently they're exposed to hazardous drugs. So how frequently are they working and in what areas? Uh, it should include questions on hazardous drug handling practices are very important. This can include questions on personal protective equipment. Does the employee use double gloves when they're handling these agents? Do they use disposable gowns and booties? 
do they wear eye protection such as goggles when it's appropriate? And, and that really gets more into our second type of follow-up. There's, there's individual as well as aggregate follow-up. So looking at these, these two types of follow-up on these annual surveys, the individual follow-up is based on abnormal results. So an individual employee will take the survey and you can identify based on that survey if there's some sort of red flag or something that you would need to follow up with if there's concern for some type of exposure or some type of health risk. It's not always related to hazardous drug exposure. I think that's important to understand that there are abnormal results that will appear in these surveys that are not necessarily an exposure to hazardous drugs, but the individual follow-up should be completed by an unblinded party so that they can really understand is this something that we need to make sure the employee receives follow-up on? Do we think it is related to hazardous drugs? Um, and how can we make sure that this employee is taken care of? The second part of this relates to aggregate follow-up. So this is best completed by a multidisciplinary group. The follow-up focuses on, again, those last questions that we were asking that looked at the review of safe handling practices. So are we seeing that our employees aren't using double gloves when they're working with hazardous agents? Are we seeing deviations from our, our use of PPE? Um, you know, are we seeing that we're compounding hazardous drugs outside of a biological safety cabinet? And it's those type of things where we can go back and make changes to our practices as an organization to help support a decrease in exposure overall from our employees. Because if we see that some employees are doing it, it, it really probably is more frequent than what you think. And, and this gives us that opportunity to not only follow up on individual problems, but also to look at our entire medical surveillance program as a whole and decide what areas are we able to, to really firm up so that we can make it a safe environment for our employees. Great. That's interesting. And as you're talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit of the USP Chapter 797 and environmental monitoring programs. And you, you, know, you talked about the aggregate. It kind of reminds me of trending your, your data over time and looking for outliers. But in 797, there's a mechanism if there's an acute event, there, there should be some sort of follow-up. How about for medical surveillance? If there's some sort of acute spill or exposure, is there any follow-up that's recommended as part of medical surveillance? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this would be the place that I would recommend if, if you don't have any medical surveillance or any follow-up, that, that really an acute exposure pathway is needed at every organization. So again, all organizations should develop a pathway uh, for any type of medical follow-up based on acute spills or any type of acute exposure. The pathway normally leverages your event reporting system. So similar to how you might report an error, a lot of times people can report, you know, finger sticks and as well as spills and, and any type of follow-up that needs to occur from that. Evaluation of the employee should either occur, depending on how you process, this might be a trip to your emergency room for an evaluation, this might be a trip to employee health, or however you incorporate being reviewed by a medical professional. Usually there's a time frame that's associated with that. You know, it, it may not always be immediately. A lot of the effects that we see from these drugs would not be necessarily something immediate, but normally it is within at least 24 to 72 hours after that exposure. What that exposure can, or what the, the follow-up can look like, so they may want to look at baseline treatment and follow-up, including tests for exposure. It's going to be really based on the type of drug that you were exposed to, as well as the specifics of the ex exposure. If it was a large exposure compared to a smaller exposure, there might be additional risks with that. And so you can include maybe a baseline at the time of exposure, 
uh, and potentially your analysis. And then depending again on more of those specific factors, there can be a follow-up appointment for that as well, just to make sure that there's no changes in lab work that weren't immediately visible over the next days to weeks. Further follow-up and, and follow-up timeframe, again, should be established at the first appointment to make sure that both the employee as well as the follow-up of the employee by who's ever complaining that is completed on in a timely manner. Great. And, and then you mentioned uh, an exit examination, and I assume that's at the end of employment, but would it also potentially apply if a, a, an oncology technician, for example, maybe switches roles to a purchasing role or, or something like that? So talk to us a little bit about the exit examination and who that might apply to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're correct. It would apply to people that were, are leaving the organization, and it would also apply to people that may be changing roles and may be considered out of that high-risk group. Um, and no longer receiving that medical surveillance. And so to capture that really that endpoint of their exposure within the organization. An exit examination, it can be a very challenging workflow because of that reason to establish because employees, again, they leave or they transfer from the organization in many different pathways and in, in many different timelines. So sometimes we have the ability to really set up that exit examination with somebody that's leaving the organization, and sometimes that's not an option. It does provide, again, the, the end point to that hazardous exposure. It can include, again, very similar to the initial or the documentation of medication or the, the history, the documentation of any type of exposure history. So was there any incidents of acute exposures while the uh, person was employed? Uh, and then any documentation of any kind of medical abnormalities that may have come out of those annual surveillances. And, and again, what you're really trying to establish there is, is an endpoint for the employee for the medical surveillance program to say, you know, we have our initial, we've been tracking our employees to make sure that they're safe throughout their employment, and then this is their end time point as far as your employment with your organization. You know, we've talked about a lot of different tests and forms and data collection, and especially early on, we talked about the fact that this applies to more than just pharmacy staff. So what you've described is a very comprehensive monitoring program, is it something pharmacies should be looking to manage by themselves or who else should be involved with that at the organization? Yeah, pharmacy, along with all of the other components of USP 800, pharmacy is not going to be able to manage this on their own. This really has to be an organization-driven, multidisciplinary approach to tracking employees to make sure that we are providing safe environments for them to work in. So determining who you want to partner with on your organization really is imperative to creating a sustainable process that's incorporated consistently within each employee entering the annual exams and then as well as an exit, an exit portion. So this can look different depending on really who you have at your organization and how your organization approaches employee health. So sometimes that's a, more of an outsourced functionality. You know, it, it can be something that your organization takes care of in itself but they're normally the, the people that you really need to, to work with and engaging them early in the process. So before you sit down as a pharmacy to map out, you know, what process you think um, a medical surveillance program should look like, really engaging them in that process because they may already have some parts of this going on for different populations, or they may have ideas as to how they compare this with other activities, which is definitely a great way to decrease the work burden on employee health. So, for example, if you're already performing onboarding employee physical exams, pairing, you know, having some way to identify those high-risk employees and then pairing this additional component with those onboarding physicals make this, makes this very easy for employee health to accommodate. 
again, the annual screenings, understanding what kind of, of workload that employee health has on that and understanding what their role will be. So maybe they'll be the people that blind the data from the annual so that you can follow up on the aggregate. But you can also look at, you know, if you have to do vaccines or TB tests annually, trying to do, again, that annual activity and matching that with the, the annual um, component of medical surveillance so that you're not having people to make multiple trips. It's really just, you know, a one time that employee health has to see each employee and they incorporate all of those components. So with all of this information being collected, are there any privacy concerns that should be kept in mind when you're implementing a program like this? Absolutely. When you're implementing this, I mean, we have to say that this is probably some of the most confidential health data about your employees that you'll collect. Um, even in the annual survey, you're asking things about, you know, reproductive or, or fertility or any type of, you know, medical conditions and things like that. So there are a lot of privacy concerns around your employees answering those questions and making sure that only the appropriate people are seeing that information. So it, it really is beneficial to develop that relationship with employee health or whoever's going to be managing this to have that small subgroup of people that have to do individual follow-up with employees, know, be able to see who the actual person is, but not really like the managers of those employees. It's not appropriate for them to really see who is responding in particular ways. And then they would be able to de-identify that information, and then that de-identified information can be shared with the, the larger groups so that they can review and, and follow up on those, those higher-level strategies to make sure that employees do have a, a safe work environment. Well, Kim, you've given us a lot of information, um, and, and I'm sure our listeners are familiar with USP Chapter 800, and hopefully they're familiar with the ASHP guidelines on handling hazardous drugs. Are there any other resources you might recommend that they uh, seek out as they develop a, or refine their medical surveillance program? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are definitely two great resources to, um, to look at. I would also recommend the Oncology Nursing Society, so ONS. And they have a, a lot of different guidelines around medical surveillance, and, and so that's also a great place to look at if you're if you're trying to find a place to start for the medical surveillance program. Great. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I would like to thank Dr. Kimberly Maytuff for joining us today. Kim, your insights on medical surveillance for USP Chapter 800 are greatly appreciated. Thank you for coming and joining us today. And if you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's medication safety resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings, such as the Patient Safety Resource Center, patient education resources through safemedication.com, and exchange ideas and ask questions with your peers on the ASHP Medication Safety Connect community. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of ASHP's podcast on medication safety, and be sure to subscribe to ASHP Podcasts through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.